Welcome to the PeaceWorks Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Moles. I'm a pastor and biblical counselor who helps churches and families confront the evil of domestic violence and promote healthy, God-honoring relationships. Welcome back, everyone, to the PeaceWorks Podcast. On today's episode, we're going to be answering some questions regarding patriarchy and complementarianism. But before we jump into that, I'd like to remind you of PeaceWorks University. PeaceWorks University is our online membership community, and it is chock full of resources that I know you will benefit from. In fact, if you've benefited from the PeaceWorks podcast, then PeaceWorks University is your best next step. You can learn more about PeaceWorks University at chrismoles.org. All right, everybody. Um, Today's episode... We're going to attempt to answer a question and um, hopefully, hopefully um, not get me in too much trouble uh, as I don't know that there is a good way or an acceptable way to answer this question uh, because of just the, the way in which I think we as a community kind of hold fast to some of these terms. And so um, especially in more of the conservative Christian or biblical counseling movement, we love to define terms. Man, we love definitions, and we're always kind of parsing those words and fiddling with those definitions. So I know, I know for a fact, the way I, the way I record the PeaceWorks podcast, I know that uh, I'm not going to adequately define the terms. Because uh, if you're new to the PeaceWorks podcast, you know, Pastor Chris takes a question and he just kind of riffs on it for 20 minutes. So I know I'm not going to adequately answer the question, but I do think it's an important topic. And I hope, I hope I can provide just a little bit of clarity or, or maybe a little bit of perspective that could add some clarity. So the question goes like this. Could you expound on the theological errors in the patriarchy camp? and give specific examples as to how this theology enables abusive behavior. And I don't know that I can. I can try. Uh, But I do think there's some assumptions in the question. Um, And so maybe a a way to kind of clarify that is, what are we talking about when we say patriarchy? Because patriarchy is not a new term. I think it has been uh, used far more frequently in recent years, in the last several decades um, and in many ways, it has kind of been a buzzword uh, from uh, maybe aspects of feminism, more so political feminism or uh, progressive feminism, and even to some degree evangelical feminism, has kind of used the term as a, as a big blanket term. So for a lot of us, you know, me being a Gen Xer, but those are even younger than me, uh, the word patriarchy is going to denote a very negative connotation and it's going to be more societal, right? So you, maybe you've heard the term used as, you know, we're in a, the, the the patriarchy, right? Like I, I had some uh, friends, they had little girls with, they're not so little now, but when the girls were little, that's how I would, uh, that's how I'd say goodbye to them. I'd be like, crush the patriarchy, you know? Um, Cause I, it just as a, a, a joke to be like, go get them girls, you know, grow up and be, you know, be strong women sort of thing. And, and that was kind of tongue in cheek, but there is a, a tone or a demeanor in our culture that 
anything that's male-oriented or anything that's historical or traditional, well, it's patriarchy. It's demeaning and oppressive. And I, I think that's really going to be hard for us to define because in many ways the culture's kind of, I think, taken that to some extremes. And what I'm getting at is not everything historical is automatically oppressive, although there's a lot of oppression in history. Not everything structural is oppressive, even though there's a lot of oppress, oppression in hierarchical structures, right? Um, and, and I think you you got to be careful not to, as it were, throw the baby out with the bathwater, which in many ways is what complementarianism has attempted to do, right? So you have this, um, oh, goodness, I mean, and I don't want to get into the huge history lesson, and I'm certainly not the expert on the topic, but as I recall, you know, there was these, the new schools of thought that were infiltrating kind of the modern church, this, this progressive uh, liberal theology that was kind of denying the scripture. Uh, as a result, um, the, the then emerging evangelical movement developed the fundamentals, and, and then there was the kind of the schism following the, the Scopes monkey trial and kind of the two waves of neo-evangelicals that's kind of led to most of our traditions and then fundamentalists. And then in more recent years, there's been almost a bleeding of those two back together. So it's hard to tell the difference in some people's minds between evangelicals and fundamentalists. Well, in part of that story, there was the emergence of evangelical feminism, um, theological egalitarianism that was becoming a little bit more um, pronounced in conservative circles. And so there was much more discussion. A greater discussion was happening uh, at the level of the seminary that then bled into the level of the level of denominationalism and then into the local church uh, regarding men and women and patriarchy versus equality. And then what is the spectrum? Like what is the variety of views that kind of flow out of that. And I think complementarianism was an attempt to respond to that from a faithful biblical position. Now, not everyone agrees with me. I I was at a um, secular conference a few years ago uh, at which we were talking about the integration of faith and um, domestic abuse work. And it was a great event uh, I was by far the conservative representative, so I was definitely the uh, more evangelical representative in the group um, of, of people that ranged from um, Judaism and uh, Roman Catholicism uh, to um, liberal Christianity to uh, mainline to to me, right? And there was one question, it was an interesting question that was posed to me, and I don't remember exactly how it was worded, but I do remember that it was worded in such a way that it's hard to answer the question. Have you ever had someone word a question, pose a question to you that that supposed the answer? And it was something like, how can you possibly hold to a complementarian theology knowing that it oppresses women and <laughs> promotes abuse? And you're like, wow, that's a difficult, you've already answered the question. Um but that is some of the presuppositions that there are no distinctions. So when the questioner asked me about patriarchy, and I want to get into that in a moment, um, there's also assumptions that complementarianism as a system 
is also patriarchy, that you can't distinguish the two. And, and I pose that you can just because, um, in large part due to experience, the wide variety of complementarians that I have encountered, individuals who believe that men and women have distinct roles in certain functions within certain relationships. And I hope I can add some clarity to it without muddying the waters even more. So let, let's start with, with that spectrum by starting with the idea of patriarchy and dispelling the, the idea that patriarchy is this um, systemic kind of unseen hand of male dominance that kind of is a prominent picture that's painted today. Um, it is a belief system. So I think that's what's important to highlight is that patriarchy does fall in the systems of belief. And so there are tenets to this system, the main one of which I would suggest, and again, this is where I'll get in trouble because I won't properly define everything, I'm sure, but to me, the main distinction, distinguishing mark of patriarchy as a belief system is that focus on nature and created order so that men and women were created differently, therefore they function differently, and that is often applied to every sphere of relationship. And the the most common tenet held then, so if men and women are created differently, they function differently in every sphere of relationship, then a commonly held position within that is that therefore men always function as leaders and women do not function as leaders. And it's, it is a very cut and dry type of system. And I'll give you an example. I had a a friend who would fall into the more patriarchal camp and um, there was a, a presidential election at the time. And there was a, um, lady, a female who was involved in the discussion. And he said, I, I cannot vote for a woman for president. And as we began discussing, he also would not vote for a woman for governor or a position that was a top leadership position. And he used biblical rationale to say that men are the head and women are not. And that position um, it, to me, seems to ex- extrapolate, kind of expand on biblical principles rather than apply biblical principles. But again, we can't agree to disagree. He was a pleasant enough fellow, but you can see, and this is where the questioner, the question comes in today, you can see how a rigid patriarchy could lead to a lack of freedom, a lack of agency, a lack of voice, a lack of discussion, as men are always this and women are always this, based entirely on the created order. And not just two people who enter covenant into a relationship or a community that develops a covenant within itself, no societal, right? And so sometimes patriarchy is presented as spheres of life. Every sphere of relationship has this um, relational component where men are um, the head and women are not. So whether it's society, 
And that's where I think some of the language that we see today about the systemic aspect of the patriarchy. Government, as I said, with uh, my acquaintance, the acquaintance of mine who would not vote for a female in a a certain position. Um, Local community, where I I not only as a woman would submit to my husband as a means of honoring Christ, but I would submit to other people's husbands, to other men in the community. Uh, which I think is a scary proposition considering the hardness of men's hearts and the, the wickedness of the heart, uh, the church, and then the family as well. I think what complementarity attempts to do is to see those roles from a biblical framework and apply them um, to the best of our ability appropriately. So, there might be a rigid complementarianism that, that kind of leans more towards patriarchy that really bases this primarily on men and women. Men are this and women are this. But the vast majority of complementarians that I work with and have served fall into a more soft, what people call soft complementarianism. The idea that, yes, in, as the spheres get smaller, the roles become more defined egalitarianism is a societal principle that makes sense. So I can vote for whoever I want to. I I really have no theological limitations as to who I vote for Um, because the kingdom of the world is not not a relationship that requires these types of functioning of roles or modeling or mirroring or demonstrating the gospel. Some would disagree, but for me, um, the sphere of society is much different than, say, my family. So is the sphere of community. I would see um, the women in my community as equals. It's really not my place to govern someone else's home or to um, lead someone else's family or to determine an outcome for someone else. I really have zero interest in um, providing whatever that is. <laughs> and it's hard to even define, see, to women, say, in the community that are not my wife or in the, in the church, for that matter. And that's an interesting discussion because I think sometimes – we take complementarianism as being uniform in the church, and it's not. There's a variety of differences within the complementarity, complementarian camp within the church. The denomination I'm part of, for instance, is considered uh, complementarian, as is, say, uh, one of the denominations that I serve quite regularly. So I won't, I won't name them, but the denomination in which I call home is complementarian. The denomination maybe that I serve most frequently outside of my own, is also complementarian. In my denomination, women have much more, uh, say, freedom to function in certain aspects of ministry. Maybe that's not even a right way to put it, but we, we allow, as it were, women to function in certain aspects of ministry that my friends over here that I serve quite regularly do not. So it would be appropriate for a woman to, say, preach in the church that I lead, um, to teach men in the church that I lead. And it would not be appropriate, perhaps, over here among my friends. And so we both function within complementarity. And I even hear now some folks are saying, well, you don't, Chris. 
because that seems to be the fight that we do among ourselves is we fight quite quite rigidly, fr- uh, frankly, on what is real complementarianism and, and who holds the standard. I'm just telling you that within the spectrum, most folks still consider me a complementarian uh, because I believe in the in biblical roles and I believe that God's made men and women to function in covenant in a certain way, in relationships in a certain way. I might not be viewing it the same way that maybe one of my friends does. Um, but that was an attempt to respond to both the rigid patriarchy that was was somewhat haunting us as a church, but then also the evangelical feminism that was somewhat removing that from the church. And so it was like, are there place is there a place for the biblical role of husband and wife, or is it just all neutral? Well, I think the church found um, that these roles are important, that men and women are different, both creatively and functionally, right, within the home. However, the idea of abuse now becoming a tool, this comes back to the question, or coercion or threat or causing harm or creating fear are in any way consistent with the way we function as husband and wife? The thought that that in any way should be supported by any of our theological frameworks, it seems absurd to me. So if a person wants to hold to a more rigid form of complementarity, my question is, how are you guarding your heart and your mind and your family from coercion, threat, and fear? How are you becoming a servant leader that practices power under rather than a dictatorial leader who practices power over? Those of us who are more soft complementarians, the, the question remains, how do you view and function within headship and submission, and how does that look in the day-to-day of life, and how does that model and mirror the work of Jesus as opposed to the kingdom of the world? And at the end of the day, friends, that's really the heartbeat of this discussion, is what do we mean by leadership, headship, submission? If we view it from a kingdom of the world perspective, if we say, yep, leaders have to lead and followers have to follow, then my fear is we're going to adopt a kingdom of the world attitude and philosophy that leads to coercion, to threat, to bullying. Does that please God? Does that mirror Jesus? But what if headship really was modeled by Jesus himself? What if submission really was modeled by the church? What if these concepts are really about serving and sacrificing? Would abuse ever be present? And if it is present, is that not an indication that we've deviated from God's design, not that we're functioning in God's design? So wherever you find yourself on the spectrum, whatever terminology you want to use, whether it's terminology that's been hijacked and redefined by the culture or it's terminology that has been well-defined and articulated within your local church, whatever term, right, system that we find ourselves in, if we or others use that system to condone coercion, threat, subjugation, oppression, fear, then I just have to challenge, 
and say, that doesn't sound like Jesus. There's got to be a better way. I want to thank you guys for listening to the PeaceWorks podcast. I know, I know, we didn't, we didn't go far enough. We didn't go deep enough. We didn't define the terms well enough. I know. But I hope and pray that we begin to see that in the practicality, the practical theology of day-to-day life, if individuals are suffering beneath the weight of harsh leadership, then that's not what God has for us, no matter what we call it. My prayer is that we would see the church not become more this or more that when it comes to labels or terms, but that we would see uh, the church become more safe and leaders become more servant-oriented and sacrificial. Thank you again for listening to the podcast. If you do us a favor, rate, review, subscribe, follow, whatever the platform asks you to do to show your support, would you uh, take a moment to do that? Uh, We function and continue to operate because of your support, and we would love for those platforms to know that you value the PeaceWorks podcast. Thank you guys again. Until next time, God bless.